Peter Carlin co-founded Logic Earth, an e-learning company, in the middle of a global recession over 10 years ago. It was, as you can imagine, a difficult time to launch an online education business, but Peter saw a massive gap in the marketplace. At the time, he was working for British Telecom. In fact, I was working on a contract with Peter, uh, reporting to Peter, in fact, and Peter realized when he left BT, I went on to do a, a master's at the time, and Peter decided to invest some time in examining the marketplace because he realized that spending on classroom-based training was falling. So he asked himself, is face-to-face -face learning the only option that we can give L&D learning and development buyers? And the answer is, of course not. And fast forward more than 10 years to today in 2021, and Logic Earth is now part of the Creative Engagement Group following a successful sale of the business led by Peter and his team in Belfast. So what was the journey like from there to here? In today's episode, what exactly was the gap in the marketplace that Peter and Paul spotted? What was it like to start a an e-learning business in a difficult time? Because it's quite similar to the conditions of today in, in the middle of the COVID pandemic. How did Peter and business partner Paul get their first clients? What was it like taking on their first employees? How did they fund their startup early on with what support, which sources of funding? Who approached Logic Earth to acquire the business? Why Peter felt some buyers were not right for them. That's a difficult thing to do, to say no to people who have who are on the cusp of giving you money. And finally, what convinced Logic Earth to sell to the Creative Engagement Group? This is the Training Business Podcast. And welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the Training Business Podcast. My name is Mark Hayes. I'm the host of this show, and this is the weekly show for trainers, for facilitators, for coaches just like you and me all around the world. And the goal of this episode and every episode of the show is to help you to start to grow and to scale your business. Peter, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me. Great to be here. So you're in Belfast this morning, uh, a lovely April morning, April 2nd. Um, and and we, we actually go back a while because when I was in Belfast for a number of years, um, actually, you were my boss on a project. <laughs> um, you were working uh, for an acquisition of BT, British Telecom, back then. And um, we worked together on a pro project, a rollout, I think, in software for the public sector. Um, but then um, I went back to college to do an MBA, and you went on to do something really, really gutsy, which was to start a company, and that company's called Logic Earth. So we'll cover the history in a moment, but just for people listening, what does Logic Earth sell and, and whom do you serve right now? Uh, thanks, Mark. We sell a very broad and deep range of learning services and solutions to, to corporate L&D people, uh, really trying to solve major business problems and helping them be very efficient and effective at what they do. Okay. And what kinds of clients would they be? Which industries? Yeah, well, they, they span quite a lot of industries uh, from ICT, telecoms to um uh, to pharma to financial and insurance um and, and many more 
Okay. So we'll go back to 2009. Um, quite a long time ago now, and a very different time in terms of technology and marketplace needs. What was happening back then in terms of your role? And based upon conversations which we discussed in, in a call before this uh, chat today, what needs did you see in the marketplace? Needs which were perhaps un, uh, not being met by other providers? Yeah, well, uh, we were we were delivering a lot of training courses all over the world. Um, you know, in in real life, in the classroom, training courses, um, and we could see the need for the courses. Quite a lot of it was based around certification. Um, more and more often, we also then got into more of the soft skills and leadership development arena. But we could what we could see over delivering lots and lots and lots of these training courses and gaining you know, quite significant experience. Um, you know, the one thing that always struck me was that in terms of return on investment for the client, um, you know, we felt there should be more options for them to deliver training and upskilling in their organizations because quite often there's a lot of people on the courses that didn't need to be there. Quite often there's a lot of people in the courses with different levels of capability and ability. Uh, and we could also see that not everybody was putting their newfound skills into practice. And if you don't do that after a formal training intervention, you forget. You just forget. You've learned. The Ebbinghaus curve comes to mind, how quickly people forget things. Um, that must have been a difficult decision in some respects because, I mean, nowadays we have e-learning. I mean, because of COVID, everyone's conscious of of the availability, the choices of, of programs out there or all, all, all manner of, of platforms but back in 2009 that was still very much new territory was, was that um, difficult to convince um, people to, to fund you or to even take your ideas seriously yeah well the, the main premise of logic earth was to offer um, offered the, the thought of digital transformation and learning and to be able to do things differently and more effectively when you know classroom based training is still really important but there must be better ways uh, and back then, we could see some emerging technologies that um, were starting to be very interesting and capable of delivering a little bit of disruption. But we could also see that e-learning had been around for quite a long time, and there was a bit of a terrible history to it. That's true. So our, our job was to find the best that we could find from across the world and bring it into one place and try and make sense of it so that our clients could see it, touch it, feel it, and make sense of it and then see where it could be applied uh, and how best it could be applied. And it was our job to really educate them through that process. Uh, so when you were thinking of what, what to do, you were working at BT at the time, as I said, I think you presented this idea of of an e-learning platform to, to them and they weren't too keen on the ideas. You decided to do this yourself, um, but not alone. You had a co-founder involved in founding Logic Earth. Yeah, so Paul McKay, who's, who's my business partner and pretty much my brother for the last 11 years, um, and I were both working in BT, we could uh, we could see the opportunity from the research that we had been carrying out and you know the solutions that we had started selling. We actually did sell some digital learning solutions while we were there. Um, mm -hmm. We did present a strategy uh, to them, but it wasn't uh, you know it wasn't for them. So we had a we had a we had a stand and look at each other and go, look, we've got this knowledge. We have to do something more with it. We have to follow this this line we're on. Um, so in late two thousand and nine, in the middle of a global 
recession. Yeah. <laughs> what a time. The crazy move to to leave and, and set up on our own with very little funding. Um, and, and I presume that was funded by yourself. The, the, I can't imagine there were too many programs around to help nascent or um, embryonic businesses back then in your field. No, and we were quite inexperienced in, in, in that area. We did, you know, we did contact Invest NI very early on, and they were really supportive and really helpful, um, you know, giving us a chance to, you know, put our business plan together. You know, but you really have to get up and running first. Uh, you really have to attract some clients and, and generate some business and deliver it and then and then show that you can do it. So how did you do that? How, how did you get your first customers? You, you mentioned when we spoke that um, you were working with Element K uh, back then. I recall Element K because when I was doing lots of classroom training, uh, I'd say in the mid-2000s, Element K were well known as being a company that produced sort of uh, off-the-shelf um, learning products. So let's say presentation skills or, or basic sales training. You cooperated with them in, in some way and, and became a partner. Yeah, so we, you know, Element K were a, a manual producer, you know, classroom-based training manuals. But, you know, as we got to know them, we could also see that they have actually quite a large e-learning library and a really nice platform in the background. So part of uh, part of the reason for starting Logic Earth was that Element K were um, were agreeable that as a young startup they would they would give us a formal partnership. You know they were based out of Rochester, New York. Um, we were two guys in Belfast. It was a big deal for us to to get a formal partnership off them, and that gave us the confidence to you know to move ahead. So in the early days, we we chased the cash. We sold training courses. It isn't really. It wasn't going to be our long-term strategy. It gave us some funding and some cash to to keep going until we got our first break in June of um, 2010 with our first e-learning sale with a company called Northgate Managed Services that went on on capital. Was there some cooperation then with with HP uh, Hewlett Packard in in Leakslip in Ireland as well? HP and Leakslip were my uh, customer in, within British Telecom. Um, but I got to know um, Tony White, who was the uh, was the head of L&D for, for HP uh, at that time. And, you know, he was part of the inspiration of taking the decision to start Logic Earth because at that time, you know, we were helping him to develop really contemporary blended learning programs for, for engineers on their line, you know, and it was part of the inspiration for me to see Oh my good! Oh my goodness! I can really see how this works. Everybody should know about this, you know. And it was part of that inspiration. So I've stayed uh, close to Tony since since then, since it's in the mid two thousands. And and those programs that you designed were they done by yourself uh, and your business partner, or were you at this point working with contractors? Had you taken on people as employees by that time? Yeah. So in, in when we started Logic Earth, it was just Paul and I for the first. A year and a bit. Um, after that, we we recruited a salesperson uh, in Dublin who we knew, um, and we'd been delivering our solutions using just ourselves from the technical point of view, from the configuration of the, of the platforms and the content. Uh, and then when it came to starting developing content, which was really our next big service, um, developing bespoke e-learning content, we initially we we recruited. Uh, or sorry, we hired contractors, but very quickly recruited digital designer and an instructional designer after that. 
how long until you could hire more people? Because you know, I'm just thinking of uh, other founder stories that I've been privileged to listen to. And, and some people get lucky breaks and they quickly hire people or people come to them, they gravitate towards them and other people soldier on for a number of years on their own. I mean, at this point you had you, yourself and, and Paul and you had two other people. Were these full, full-time employees and when did you then decide to take on more people? Because this is obviously a huge inflection point when you can begin to leverage the the knowledge of other people and, and build a team around them. Yeah, you know, when, you, when you start a business, you find that um, there's a lot of people there who are really, really willing to give you your time and help you and give you advice. And somebody very wise told me at the time, you know, take your time to make that decision to employ people. You know, you're you and Paul are in the business. You have an you have an option to just keep it to you and Paul and to grow your clients as best you can and and to just be you because recruiting people and building a business full of people is a very big decision. So it, it is a big inflection point. But we knew we wanted to grow a business with people in it to bring value into it to to make it something. So we took that decision. It was a hard path to follow. But at the end of the second year, I think we were, it was Paul and I and three others. Um, and we were starting to build a little bit of run rate business uh, at the time. And and I think that's when really Invest and I really could see what we were doing. We had a little bit of traction behind us. Uh, and, you know, they were starting to um, warm to where we were going. Uh, and starting to make offers on on salary support for for future employees, which was invaluable. You mentioned Invest NI a couple of times. For people listening, that's Investment Northern Ireland. That's the the government back body which which helps uh, startups, right? In in your part of the world, um, were you getting conflicting advice on that topic? I mean, there there, there inevitably are people who will say, "Stay small, do what you do. Uh, you know, be content." contented with what you have in terms of, of a customer uh, base. And then there must be the other kind of people who say, you know what, this has got huge potential. Um, you need to grow and you need to grow quickly. Uh, were there conflicting voices in your mind about growing a business beyond yourself? No, I think I think it was a binary kind of switch for us. You know, it was in the early days. We, we both agreed the strategy that would be, you know, we want to go down the other path, which was to build a business with value, with people, with the team, and 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 grow it that way. We wanted to build it over the long term to get a share of the marketplace and and to do something and to be known for something. So it was the only really route for us. But once we decided to go down that route, then we had to figure everything out and, and really learn quite a lot along that journey. So you mentioned, you know, things you had to learn. What what kind of things were were particularly difficult? What were the early challenges, shall we say? In um, in starting up a business and running a group of people, managing them, um, I think I think the biggest thing was trying to get your first customer. Um, you know, you'd no track record, albeit that Paul and I had been in the industry for a while. You know, you'd no track record as the business. Um, so, you know, trying to be able to persuade somebody to hand over their money <laughs> to to two people who've just started a business is quite a big thing. Um, you know, so we had to we had to show a lot of courage and a lot of determination uh, and bluff a little bit along the way to 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 get that traction. Um, the other thing you have to learn is around standards. You know, when you're a young business, you've no 
established processes and standards, and you really have, really have to work hard to show that you're you're working to a really high standard because essentially we're dealing with quite big businesses. We're not dealing with SMEs uh, as a client base. Um, and then you have to learn the art of cash management and cash flow, which is is absolutely the number one most important thing in any small businesses like that. So, so that's interesting what you've said about um, you know working with larger companies and other people I've interviewed in this on this topic have said to me that's often the, the tricky part is just convincing someone really maybe ten times your size to to trust them to trust you. Uh, to get them to open the door because, you know, working with, with massive e-learning companies, uh, Skillsoft, others come to mind, um, they almost have a kind of a weight uh, and presence. But if you're a startup, that's difficult to get people to give you that lucky break. Um, what, what contract, you don't have to mention a particular company, but which contract for you made you feel, you know what, we, we've arrived, we now have some kind of case study which we can uh bring to other companies and say we're doing business with people like this and you can you can trust us to help your people your clients well before i answer the question directly i think there's another thing that really has to happen and that is your your passion has to shine through uh so to get our first contract to be able to have a reference point i think it was the passion and the energy and the uh, and the determination that shone through that persuaded uh, the buyers in uh, Northgate Managed Services at the time to give us our first off-the-shelf e-learning and platform contract. You know, so I think, you know, I think that held with us throughout that. I could see their reaction. And we also learned, you know, that you were selling stuff that end users were going to buy, but actually it's the buyer is the most, more important than the end user. You know, we have to make them feel safe. We have to make them look successful. We have to make sure that we are not going to interfere with their success or risk their their reputation. So I think it's such a big learning thing for, for me personally. Uh, but once we had that first um, case study, we we were able to use it really well, and it did help accelerate the next the acquisition of the next few clients. Any tips for people listening as to how to punch at that at that weight? You know, if you're if you're starting up and you want to, if you're at say a training provider, uh, coach, and you want to do business with the big boys and girls, uh, what 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 did you do? What if you look back on this? What did you actually do that you feel helped them to take you seriously and to give you a chance? Um, I think I think you need to know more than your client. If you're specialising in something, you need to know something more that they don't know, and that has to come through. I think you have to bring acumen with your specialist knowledge as well. And that acumen has to be about how to apply what you're doing in their context. How is it going to help deliver their strategy? What is going to be different on the other side of that? Why why it's better than other solutions out there? So um, it's, it's a big mixture of specialist knowledge, of passion, drive and energy and responsiveness uh, to communications, but also that, that just that business acumen and that person personable, you know, that that psychological acumen or people, their worries, their fears, their thoughts, what's going to make them successful. And if you build all of that together into package and do that really well and be a really good listener, um, you know, I think I think that's a key for success. There must be a lot of work though, building lots of custom solutions. Um, quite a lot of companies 
build portfolios of products and they they have a huge off-the-shelf library. Again, I'm thinking of Skillsoft in, in my experience uh, from the time I was an L&D buyer. Um, what about the, the, the amount of work involved in, in customizing learning solutions for customers? That must be a huge, if you will, drain on resources sometimes. Again, uh, again, you know, reflect back on we had no established processes so we had to make make this stuff up and and get good at it really quick quickly because the first type of programs that we were developing were pure e-learning digital e-learning courses you know built from scratch written from scratch uh, and compiled and published um so we had to get good at that and we really focused in on uh, the end-to-end process and now when we're talking about to you know, to a solution for a client in e-learning, it's really the topic is is nearly irrelevant for us at the minute. It's it's our process that wins the day because it's so easy to lose money out, so easy for things to be misunderstood and the client to uh, make lots of changes along the journey. So, um, looking back now, we've really honed that down into a super slick process. And and at some point. I suppose people began to approach you, knock on the door, and and as you told me last time, there were several uh, businesses which came to you, courting you, or approaching you with the intention of acquiring you. Some people start businesses with with the intention of just staying in them. In fact, they are the business, inextricably linked to the business. When did you feel it was time to to take buyers seriously? Um, some people build businesses with the explicit goal of selling them on. Was, was that your plan or did you just kind of come organically to you? Well, I think a few things, you know, I, I'd been, I'd been involved in the leadership team of selling BIC systems to, to BT. So I, I could see the process that you had to go through to sell a business and you could see the, the detail that it goes into. So we, we started out from the beginning to say, look, We'll have to sell this at some time. Let's just build it from the from the start and keep it in really good shape, so that if we ever sell it, you you know it'll be a lift and shift for somebody, and it'll be really easy. Right, <laughs> lift and shift. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So, but we had no our, our we had no our our intention to sell was down the list of priorities. Our first priority was to build the business, make a difference in the industry, be and be seen to be making a difference, and grow the brand and grow a team and do it really well and for our team to come to work every day and enjoy what they do. Um, selling it was incidental because we knew we had to get it to a certain size for it to be worth, worth, worth anything. So after, you know, five or six years, we did have people coming knocking on the door. We weren't, I didn't think we were in a, a good place to sell. Um, quite often, you know, you have to get on with the person on the other side you know, so that that mood and relationship has to be good. Uh, and there are a couple of people we talked to seriously, but it just didn't work out. And can I ask why? Why were they not um, taken seriously by you, or, or vice versa? Well, <clears throat> I think there was a risk that um, the the dynamic would change, and we would still be in the business, and we we had the specialist knowledge. And that the, the the potential buyers would want us to go down a path that we didn't necessarily agree with. Um, we understood the marketplace better than them, uh, and we couldn't see the value that they were going to add. In other in other cases, you know, there was a better kind of uh, mix that way. But you know, the, the you know the buyout formula just wasn't 
agreeable. You know, it was some of it was based on shares. You know, and it just wasn't agreeable. And at the time, we were just still thinking, going, no, we can get this to a better shape. We can get it bigger. Let's just keep going. Um, uh, and we just kept pushing through. Can I ask you what what that vision was? Because you've mentioned that it wasn't perhaps in a, in, in a it needed to be in a better shape. What was that shape in your mind that told you when it's at this level, um, perhaps with this turnover in, in this particular doing these particular things for people, then it's the time to to take buyers seriously? Well, I think there's one big thing for me, which is that the business shouldn't have been reliant upon Paul and I um, at a time of a sale. And that we would be worth more if we had a team of people around us who could be seen to run the business without us. Um, so you have to get to a certain size to be able to do that and a certain turnover and a certain kind of run rate uh, and, and have really good clients on your books. Uh, and, and essentially that's what we did. You know, we built a really fantastic leadership team. Um, we used a, a model called Traction to run the business. Um, and we we did that over the last five or six years, uh, and it's been really, really successful. Well, let's pull the handbrake there, uh, Peter. What is traction for people listening? Um, yes, it's, a, it's an operating model for your business, and it, and it gives you a framework um, within which you can, you, can, you can operate your business. So it really forces you to sit down and, and think about what you're all about, what your key focus is, uh, why you're different. Um, forces that you think about your people and to make sure that you've got the right people in the right seats in the right place with the right experience and the right attitude uh, at all times. It then, it then really forces you to think about your strategy uh, and where you're going and setting goals around that strategy. Um, with the premise is that strategies are quite easy to develop, but inherently really difficult to execute. So it really is for us, it was a strategy execution model. Um, and basically, we, we set annual goals. We then set quarterly goals. We meet once a week to discuss those goals. And all we discuss is, are the goals on track or off track? Um, and what are the issues preventing those goals to be met? Uh, so, And that, that devolved responsibility beyond Paul and I to a leadership team to focus in on those things, helped us grow and get into really good shape. So now you're part of the creative engagement group. So one of these approaches obviously felt right for you and was successful. Um, just talk a little bit about that process of, of dancing, if you will. N- now you've someone coming to you and saying, would you like to dance? And you say, yes, this is the right person. They're the right team for me. What was the clue in your mind that said, these are the right people. Now is the time to, to sell. Yeah, like they, they, um, they approached us by a, a cold email on, on LinkedIn, um, in May of, of 2019, and um, you know, we they just asked for a discussion, and um, you know, really they were looking for a strategic partner who could help them grow uh, the learning business within their client set, and and we just slowly started to meet them and get to know them, and we we find we find this world of the agencies, which we didn't know existed. Um, because we've been very used to corporate environment, very, very old old school corporate environments. So the very first thing that we noticed was that people were really nice and helpful and honest and open and genuine. And they had an innate want and wish to to create unforgettable things for for their clients. And this really, really resonated with us. So 
you know, the when we were getting over that long period of getting to know each other, you know, we could see that those values were the same. They wanted to come into work to have fun, but really create unforgettable stuff for the for the clients. And we just loved that approach. Okay. And you're currently on an earnout, I take it then, with with element sorry, with um the creative engagement group. Yes, so we're 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 going through the the process that'll last for a few years. Um, it's it's been it's, it's been almost a year. In, in fact, this time next week it'll be a full year. Right, <laughs> anniversary. Yeah, the time is gone. Um, it's just been an amazing experience working with amazing people. I think one of the biggest things for us was um, the amount of talent across the group that we could bring to our learning solutions because Logic Earth as a brand still exists. Um, it's it's Paul's job and my job to still grow that brand in the marketplace, but also to serve their clients in what we call the white space. So um, looking to the future now, hard to say because of what's going on, but there must be an absolute boom right now for e-learning, given that we're all kind of tied down. We're in the middle of uh, COVID still. Um, what do you see the next few years being like for you? Hard to say what industry will look like in two or three years' time, but what, what is on your horizon? What would you like it to be? I think COVID has has been a big change agent for, for digital learning within organizations. It's been a big change agent to speed speed up that upskilling uh, requirement within companies. So I think upskilling uh, and reskilling existing staff into new roles is going to be a big part of the future. Um, our ability to retrain and train people en masse really using the most contemporary methods of learning methodologies and content and technologies um, is going to be key to that. Um, I think our big challenge is to design those complex learning programs to get lots of people through um, um, is going to be really tested because do you know what? We don't want to do it on Zoom. No, <laughs> um, please no. We can't. It's not effective <laughs> to do it on the classroom. So our our amazing learning consultants and learning designers have to really excel now at, at developing these really contemporary blended learning programs where they still it's still very human centric, but it's not in real life and it's not on on a call like you know like Zoom. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'm. I, I'd say I, many people listening to this are fatigued by Zoom. It's um, uh, there's got to be nicer and better things than Zoom, and thankfully there are. And and uh, there's a massive growth spurt that I've seen out there in e-learning, and I'm. It's how I learn these days. I mean, I miss the classroom, the the human interaction, but um, it's 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 still a massive from a an e-learning perspective, it's a massive opportunity. Do you feel that uh, there's still room in the marketplace for new entrants to develop solutions in this space? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I think we need modern thinking. Um, I think existing trainers who've who've spent most of the time in the classroom have a big role to play uh, in this, and it's to open your mind up about that human-centric approach to learning. Now, where learning is taking place in many, many, many different forms. But it is it is still the better when there are human experts involved. It's just going to be different, and it's really just to get your head around those differences and how you can apply your acumen, your knowledge, and your expertise in the middle of all that. Um, it'll be better for everybody. It'll be it'll be more productive. It'll be more interesting, but it'll just be different. Yeah, who knows what's around the corner, Peter? Where can people find out more about you and Logic Earth? 
Uh, thanks, Mark. We we have a website, logicarts.com. On our website, we, we share our knowledge freely. We have tons and tons and tons of blogs and white papers and free stuff if you want to learn about the digital learning industry. Um, if not, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, anybody welcome to con contact me directly. I'm happy to share our knowledge freely. Well, thank you very much for being my guest today on the show, Peter. Thanks, Mark. It's been a pleasure. A huge thank you to Peter and best wishes to the team at Logic Earth. It's a fascinating story how Peter and Paul began their business and then were acquired by another company. And I hope to bring you more episodes just like this topic in future parts of the show of the year as we go into the rest of 21 and 22. I always find it really interesting to listen to people's stories as to how they built their business, spotted opportunities in the marketplace, and some of them are eventually acquired. Maybe that's something that you're thinking of, and you might also want to listen to a couple of episodes ago with John Warlow. We had John on the show, and he also talked about the process of, of selling your business. So if you've got some great ideas, and I'm sure you have, for episodes and content, please keep them coming. You can reach me personally via email, mark at trainingbusiness.com. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn. I mean, everyone I can think of, all guests and people I work with are on LinkedIn. So that's a great place to find me. Simply look me up, Mark Garrett Hayes. Uh, that's M-A-R-K-G-A-R-R-E-T-T-H-A-Y-E-S. Drop me a line, ping me, message me. Or you can even look us up on Stitcher, on Spotify, Apple, where, of course, you'll find episodes of the podcast. And we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, although in very, very small numbers right now. I need to pay more attention to social media. But um, I'd love you to subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice. There are plenty of platforms out there, whichever those might be for you. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, you'll find an episode every single Thursday without fail every Thursday morning or wherever part of the world you are right now listening to this, it'll be there for you. That's my promise. And I welcome your suggestions as to the kinds of content that you would like on the show, the kinds of guests. And as I said, you can reach out to me via mark at trainingbusiness.com. Until next Thursday, when I look forward to your company again, please stay safe. Enjoy the good weather if that's the case where you are right now and catch you next time. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.